Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lodge. Uh, today, I have a very special guest and friend of mine, Mr. Barry Hart. Barry and I have always had some of the most in-depth and interesting conversations, and I'm very excited to just talk to you tonight more than anything else. Well, thank you, John. Yeah. I appreciate that very much. It's have an you, honor to be here. Have you ever done anything like this before? Um, no, I have over the phone and also... Um, Call it in. Uh, yeah, I've been called by, you know, giving interpretations over certain plant communities or um, forest. I've been on uh, the Alabama Forestry Association, and that was a little unnerving. So let, let, <laughs> let our listeners know what you do for a living. It's a lot different than the conversations we have, but they, they do. There is a Venn diagram to all of this, I, I feel like. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of overlap. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. So tell, tell what do you do? I'm an ecologist. That's my job title. So um, over the past 35 years or so, I have um, pretty much focused my energies on um, learning as much as I possibly can of our natural environment. Right. So what I do, I, I work with Craig Harris. Craig is my supervisor. Yeah. Um, our office is in Milan, Tennessee. I'm an ecology for an agency. And so what I do is I take the soil information that our soil scientists have generated over the decades and um, what we have learned about geomorphic features, geomorphology, landforms, landforms, landform positions on broad landscapes, and then try to associate this soil-vegetation correlation or connection what types of natural vegetation naturally occur right. on these various soils with respect to landform, landform position, with the backdrop of this much larger landscape. So you do a lot of field work. I used to. You used to. <laughs> what I'm doing right now is a lot of literature work. Right. And throughout my life, is it's a balance between – it's. Actually, it's not a balance. There's a far more heavier weight placed on gathering information before you go to the field. That was the one thing 20 years ago when I was in Alabama as a terrestrial zoologist slash ecologist as a former job I had. Uh, I would always spend quite a bit of time, days, studying a particular organism or environment that I'm like, going to go search what, and survey. What stands out? What, what, what type of organism? I spent a lot of time on a federal endangered butterfly. I knew this. I, I didn't want to <laughs> I couldn't remember. I knew it was a butterfly. I knew really? it was a butterfly. Well, because we um, we were in some swamps, you and I, yeah. and Craig, one day, and um, there were a lot of cottonmouths. Yeah. And you were telling me, I, was, I didn't know how well-versed you guys were in the woods, Right, and so right. when people see cottonmouths, a lot of times they're just like, ah, you know. No. So I'm like, hey, you know, and you're like, hey, I did this study with butterflies, and you're telling me the story where you had to I go have, over beaver dams. Yes, I measured. They, the just, Forest Service wanted me to measure beaver dams. So, and that's where cottonmouths are going to be. That's where cottonmouths are going to be. That's where cottonmouths are going to be. So I've, I've been, <laughs> the distance from my crotch to that pot <laughs> <laughs> I've been that close with cotton mouths, yeah. and I moved them out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. When we're uh, so we do bow fishing out on out on those same sloughs. My son and and a friend and I we go out on kayaks, and in that same creek, and we bow fish uh, gar and and uh, bowfin and things like that. But you know, of course, we're always seeing cottonmouths. Sure. And you know, my son. He, he's like, uh, what happens if a cottonmouth falls in my boat? And I'm like, that's his boat now. <laughs> yeah. That's the advice. You know? like, you're always asking, can I go swimming? I'm like, yeah, that's when you go swimming. <laughs> that's his uh, boat. For whatever reason, if he's in your boat, there's, I guess he wants it. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's interesting because they they really don't want to have anything to do with you. They're, they, no, they just want They just want to be left alone. I know they wanted me to be gone yeah yeah leave me alone yeah there's a really cool den that um is near some railroad tracks i think i've sent some pictures to you i think you have yeah yeah that they come out and they're they're gonna be coming out in like the next month or so yes and they are piled up every year and <laughs> i told amazing. someone about it and they went down there and uh actually illegally killed a bunch of them hmm. i went back the next year i mean it was just like there was no, I mean, <laughs> no dent. There was no dent. You know, there was like you know thirty cotton mouse in a in a uh, twenty yard span or whatever, and they're they're just grumpy. They don't want. They just want to be left alone. Yeah. And man, it is unnerving because this place produces a lot of morels. Oh wow. Yeah. So I don't mind even telling people because I'm like, good luck. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> go down there and pick you a mushroom. <laughs> be careful. <laughs> These dudes are grumpy, and there's a lot of trash and a lot of just, yeah, a lot of that. So it's like morels. I have a theory for morels. You know, every generation of mushroom hunters, you know, has their own theory, you know, for morels because they're they're, they're mycorrhizal or whatever. So they're right. very they're very different. Um, you know, you hear all these folklores, you know, thunderstorms and all this, all this, you know, uh, um, the leaves are as, the leaves on an oak are as big as a squirrel's ear. Is when you know the morels are out. That's another <laughs> saying I've heard. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a theory. It's Very they're good. attracted to trash. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I find them on disturbed roadsides and roadbeds and things like that. A lot of times is where you'll find patches. And, you know, unfortunately, people are terrible and throw their trash out. So. <laughs> but, yeah, I remember that. I, remember, I don't know. That stands out in my mind, uh, us being in the woods and just like, hey, be careful. There's cottonmouths. And you both are like, okay. <laughs> thanks yeah, thanks cool gotcha. <laughs> yeah i'll yeah. watch i'm i'm waiting for the gators i just shared an article mm. not too long ago the gators coming into tennessee i'm uh, very interested in that be yeah because of the nesting habits of them right and the temperature in involved in their nest i mean this is a clear indicator Mm -hmm. that there are warmer climates because if you know anything about alligators they're, they're the way they build their nests and correct me if i'm wrong is that they're sexed by the temperature and the eggs one or two temperature you know degree variations kill the eggs as well right um but they're they're thinking now that there are there is a sustained population in tennessee i can believe it that's yeah. wild absolutely that's insane yeah that we're seeing a dramatic i mean i mean we've seen um i don't know would you call this would it be a you know it's not an introduced species what would you call this you know it's you know it, it kind of falls in the same 
the same species like armadillos or coyotes, you know, they're not really from here, but they're coming into this territory. They're 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 migrating into this region. Like we didn't always have non-banded armadillos in Tennessee. No, 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 we didn't. So, in comparing alligators to armadillos, <laughs> um, oranges, <laughs> alligators to armadillos. No, right, I'm, right. looking at. Um, range expansion right right, right. Um, armadillos had a little bit of help uh, pretty early on because they were a novelty to certain people that went to texas and here they are out in texas and and naturally they expand their range on into southern louisiana or, or whatnot but some folks would pick them up as no novelty items and okay. carry them to other places yeah don't so ever introduce well to some degree, to but some not degree. not right, okay. necessarily. I mean, once they're in the southeast, they're going to go northward. Yeah, right. Um, oh, I understand what you're saying. Once they've crossed the Mississippi and they've established oh, yeah. the population yeah. there, then they, yeah. yeah, they're going to go northward. Oh, absolutely. But, but it's different with alligators because of the tenuous relationship with temperature. Right. The cold-blooded. Right. The the difference that it the 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 survival conditions the severe winters or let's say. Since we're looking at a warming climate, severe weather events where temperatures drop dramatically can impact them. Sure. Yeah. If, they're, have, in, yeah. if they're in the wrong environment right. uh, to where uh, the temperatures catch them just right, um, going into just torpor because of low temperatures um, may not be enough to save them. You know, so that that might be, as far as their northern advance, it could be a slow advance once they reach a certain latitude. Because of the temperature. Right. right. But uh, they've done exceptionally well throughout, you know, places like Alabama and Mississippi. Right. And so. Right. Uh, Outside of traditional ranges that they've yeah. expanded to. Yeah. Slowly. Right. Yeah. And now they're on our doorstep. Yeah. So I'm going to eat one. Oh, oh well. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, we're not supposed to shoot them. The TWRA put a thing out. Like, oh, they like, did? Yeah, yeah. They were like, don't shoot the alligators. Don't kill them or whatever. Don't kill the alligators. Dang. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. We that have may, to learn to live with them. Well, that may change yeah. uh, as, Maybe. as time goes on. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they'll wait until the like the the carp population, you know. Maybe they'll just wait until our rivers are just swarming with them, and then say, "Hey." <laughs> <laughs> but the armadillos, to me, you know, many game folks, um, wildlife managers, or whatever, uh, don't see any problems with armadillos. But man, they're a miniature hog. Yeah. And and I've I've spent enough time in southern climes in Alabama that I've seen. Um, Decaying logs completely dismantled by armadillos, and they'll wipe out uh, yeah. the invertebrate community yeah. out of that log, yeah. as well as any vertebrate that's in there that yeah. can be subdued. Um, they'll any type of ground—I um, don't want to say ground nesting—but but we have a lot of insects, terrestrial insects that pupate. Uh, just below surface, soil surface, 
man, they'll roil that environment up. So for those of you listening, if you have little bitty holes about this deep, yeah. about this round. Usually conical. Yeah, conical. They're, and they're everywhere. You have armadillos. And so I've hunted them. Hunted, not trapped. Yeah. Hunted. And hunting them, I've learned a lot about this animal. And they're very interesting. They... It's almost like they do a a systems check every now and again. Like if you watch one, it'll it'll be you know like mumbling about <laughs> doing doing its business, and then all yes. of a sudden it'll stop. That's right. And it'll just like do this 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 look where it it's and you know it's not seeing much, and then it does the nose right, and then and then you see its ears flicker, and it's like it's it's checking its environment, it's, you right. know, see trying what, to, yeah, trying that's to right. and then it's back to and back to. Yeah, doing that. So I caught one one time with my bare hands. Yeah, you. Yeah, we've done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fun. Yeah, man, they can dig fast. Yeah, yeah you have to get them off the ground. That's what I learned with catching armadillos by hand. Is is if you don't pull them up off the ground, they are they have dug down three or four inches within seconds, <laughs> trying to get away. Yeah, <laughs> and you do not want to be on the business end of those claws. <laughs> that's right. They're squirmy. Yeah, they're very squirmy. Yeah. I've eaten them a few times. Uh, I will never do it again. Yeah, they were terrible. I think that's a, that's a good policy yeah. not to. Yeah, they were. At, I mean, I always like do. I try to do like the rule of three, but for armadillos, it's going to be the rule of two. I just <laughs> both times, and I'm a good cook, man. And I'm like, mm 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 mm. Yeah, yeah. That's understandable. Yeah, and I even like did the traditional preparation. I didn't cook it in the shell. Maybe that was the missing ingredient. It's like you've got to mix the dying leprosy found in the shell into the into the rojo or whatever I put in it. I forget. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, we do have really good good meat in the woods, but armadillo is not one of them. Coyote wasn't bad, but uh, you know, I don't know if I'd do that one again either. Yeah, but yeah, I have a thing about predators, so I I, I probably. Just What's your thing be. about predators? Well, just the paras- parasites that oh, are associated. Yeah. Like trichinosis? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, there have been some people that have not fared well. No. Yeah. And they were buried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> so, probably, you know, I probably have it. I mean, Well, maybe not. You know, who knows? You'll know. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, all those calcified eggs just getting into my muscles. And, yeah, it's crazy. Like, yeah. uh, it's crazy. It's so crazy that, uh, probably every bear in East Tennessee has trichinosis. Wow. I went on a bear hunt and I called some of the rangers there and that's what one of them told me. They were like, just go ahead and assume that the bear has trichinosis wow. just because of garbage. And well, that's just right. Yeah. I can see. <laughs> I can see. It's it. like human interaction. It's like, Oh, okay. And now the hogs don't have it cause the hogs never touch you know, ground, which I find interesting. You know, that's the yeah. reason why you used to have to court, cook pork to right. 165 right. was exactly. trichinosis. Right. They lowered that because hogs no longer have trichinosis because they no longer touch the ground. The pork you and I eat no longer really? touches ground. Correct. Hmm. Concrete life. Yep. Hmm. Because, yeah, uh, you know, that's how you initially control That's just the whole foreign concept. These What's that? Massive corp, corporate farms like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That freaks me out. I don't... I mean, do you eat meat? Well... Well, then you know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> I do. Used to, I only ate what I shot. Me too. So that's, but, that's a very, very difficult proposition, by the way. That takes a lot of time and a lot of work and a lot of effort. Yeah. 
because you were processing like I was processing yeah. my own. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you you shoot a deer. That's your day, maybe two days. Yeah, certainly, certainly a day. Certainly a day, a long yeah. day. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's not counting when you process it. That's just deboning. I prefer to debone mine. Sure. On the it, spot because I didn't have a cooling. You know, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. or anything yeah. like that. So I go to work immediately. I go and yeah, put in just the eight hours and just grind yep. it all. And just, I mean, just do it all. That's I have a good. gamble. I just, just, I do it all just because I'm like, man, this is work. It is work, you know? It and, is work. Uh, I don't know. And now there's CWD and that worries me. So I haven't hunted deer in the last two years because of that. Really? And I, yeah, and I regret it because, our, and I shared this today, but our sheriff's department has a really cool program. You can shoot deer which they desperately need to be shot, desperately need to be shot. Right. And then you give the deer to them, and then they have it tested for CWD, and then they grind it up, and then they do a giveaway to anybody. So anyone can go, and the giveaway is, I forget, it's on Facebook. but um, So anyone can go get deer. So you didn't get your deer this year, you can go, and it's CWD free. Wow. So you can go pick it up if you're a citizen. Go get it. So it's really cool, really cool program. Wow. And I meant hmm. to do that this year. And was unable to, unfortunately, closing businesses and yeah, starting businesses right. and the whole, you know, yeah, like a busy year, busy year, busy, <laughs> yeah, busy little bit. But, uh, um, but next year for sure, but that was going to be my solution because man, you got to call them, you got to call the deer. But I was just so terrified of me processing my own, knowing so little about prions, knowing so little about absolutely the disease. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was very concerned over that, and and I haven't harvested in a while. Part of that is because of my back. That's a lot of work. I have I have my back issues right yeah. now. So, um, but also concerns because I processed inside my home. Yeah, of course. And I just uh, yeah, man. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I don't have a process. Yeah, it's not like I have a process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's my kitchen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we're like cooking so, the heart, and we're you know we're we're eating the things that can't be saved, that can't be frozen or whatever. You know, right there on the spot. You know, right. the the awful O F F A L if you're fancy in French. You know, <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I didn't want to <clears throat> eating the heart seem in a, in a CWD positive deer just seems like a Risky proposition, you know, <laughs> and there's no, there's no like test. You can't do a test at home or anything like that. So, right. but I think they're working on that. I think they're working on a testing at home. So I hmm. think that might actually change. There's a, uh, I think there's a professor to the university of Wisconsin that's trying to develop a home, wow. some sort of home test where you, I guess you're going to take the, there's a specific gland. I'm not sure, but they're going to test it and whatever you'd be able to do it yourself. So interesting, but but I mean, the deer population is absolutely out of control, and there's no other way to fix it, unfortunately, than culling. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Norway got what it, got rid of it in the '80s, I guess. They did really. Mm -hmm. I haven't looked into that. Yeah, they. Um, I mean, they took deer out of herds, so there mm -hmm. wasn't a genetic bottleneck. I'm trying to. I actually read the the white paper on this, and then they tested them and made sure they didn't have the disease. And then they went in on helicopters over the tundra and just mowed down the herds. Wow. And just piled them up and burned them. And then they went in and reintroduced CWD free animals, I believe. Yeah. 
but I believe they're the only country like that. But I think I want to say now that they're positive again. They have another case. So, yeah. Doggone Sweden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It worries me. Wow. Yeah, it's it's concerning. Because it doesn't even matter if you eat deer. You know these 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 objects are so small. Yes. We've never seen one, first of all, which is crazy to me. But they're so small. They're, they're, they are. There are studies that are being done that it's ending up in the groundwater. And really, yeah, I can understand. So, well, I mean, it's denaturing and deformation of proteins. Yeah. So, anything that will do that, right? Which happens naturally in our body every single day. We produce these reject cells, so to speak. Sure. But these have the codes for certain animals to reprogram. And uh, the symptoms of prion diseases are beyond. I mean, people like, if you love The Walking Dead, <laughs> just Google. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. It eats your brain. makes right. holes in your brain. Yeah. Right. But Yeah. Very concerning. <laughs> so I'll tell you something that's a little concerning to me. Have you been following anything on what is your opinion on freaking aliens? And I'm sorry to drop this oh, bomb, man. but I've been seeing this crap on the news. Yeah. And I don't know what to make heads <laughs> or tails on this because for those of you that don't know, there's Drake's equation. You're familiar with Drake's equation, right? The equation that there's so many uh, tenable stars, so many oh, yes. tenable planets. Right, right. This Absolutely. Is how this is how much life should be yeah. available in the known universe. Yeah. And then you juxtapose that with Fermi's paradox, which is the idea of if there is intelligible life, we would have made contact. And for the longest time, I kind of shrugged my shoulders and thought, eh, maybe. But now the government's telling me that there's aliens, and I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like a blip. The Pentagon just like, yeah, there's, you know, is it secret technology they're trying to hide like they did with, like, you know, the stealth bomber and stuff back in the day? Mm. Or, I don't know. What do you think, man? Well. I mean, have you kept up with any of it? Yeah, I have. Um, I'm interested. <laughs> what do you think? Um, you hit on something that, you know, those of us, that, you know, really kind of turn an ear toward cosmology. Sure. Really look at uh, how many, it's not hundreds, it's not thousands, not even millions, but we're looking at potentially billions of galaxies. 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 Correct. That doesn't even, you know, start extrapolating the number of stars and orbiting exoplanets right associated with these systems right you know so you're arguing for drake's equation right well now. right well yeah well essentially I'll, i listen to a lot of the, astrophysicists right but I, this is drake's know. equation this is this is the equation right and i believe i have that name correct but that's the equation that there the probability the mathematical probability right right of intelligible right. life right but you know it's it's Will it look like us, act like us, it, you know? I can't assume that it would. So here's my issue. 
here's my issue with aliens, and this is what I've been thinking about. Okay, so we're kind of trapped under the guise of general relativity, so to speak, right? So, like, we have a working understanding and a continuing developing understanding of physics, right? And we're trying to incorporate physics on a macro scale, Mm -hmm. To physics on a quantum scale, right? right? That's the that's the the. I'm trying to think of a sports analogy, but I, have, I don't have none because I don't watch any <laughs> sports. But that's the field goal. That's the touchdown, right? But, but to but to 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 bring these two together, right? But any way you cut it, this right. is my issue. Any way you cut it, I cannot conceive through quantum physics or astrophysics, a way in which we could, anything could travel physically the distance needed to travel to make contact with us, right? Right. So then we start having a conversation about other dimensions. Yes. At this point, I feel as if we're having a philosophical conversation (laughs) rather than a scientific conversation. Right. Because... And I mean that sincerely, because the dim- if if you, if you think about it like this, if it's let's just make the assumption that it is technologically improbable that artificial life traveled near the speed of light, right? Right. Which is the fastest thing that we know about. Which would still take them what, like a hundred thousand years or whatever it is, right? <laughs> right, an extremely long time. Right, that's the distances we're talking. Right. So, like civilizations develop in this long journey. Like this is insane, right? So, if aliens exist, obviously they're interdimensionally traveling. So my mind goes to this: if you can travel between physicality then there is no home planet. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. There's no home star. Right. Again, this is, we're edging on a conversation of philosophy. There is no, we came and visited you, and now we're going to go mechanically return to our home planet. Right. That's insane. Right. And any physicist is worth their salt that you've read or studied or heard is going to say the same thing. Right. Mechanically speaking, right. even traveling near the speed of light, we're talking hundreds of thousands of years. That's right. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Which is insane. It is insane. <laughs> and we just started beaming you know, radio signals into the cosmos when? when I mean, when, when, when did that really start? Like the 20s, 30s, right, is when the first signals started to like leave the, the planet? I don't know. Well, yeah. Certainly by the 30s. So I'm arguing for Fermi's paradox in this sense. (laughs) Because I think it would be nonsense that an alien civilization would jump back and forth between physical locations. If it had the ability to not be physical, then why would it be physical in the first place? Well... (laughs) (laughs) If it has the constraints of the, the, the observable universe, at this point in time... What are we? What are we calling these things? You can call them. I mean, cultures. 
throughout history have called them many names. Our culture calls them aliens, is that what I'm getting at. Right, <laughs> right, absolutely. Well, now you've touched on another aspect of indigenous cultures. Sure. And, and what they feel, what they believe. And um, I, uh, I really like pictographs and glyphs. Yeah. And petroglyphs. Right. And I love to look at those and to, to try or just wonder, assume, what would they, what are they conveying, you know? What is the... What is the meaning right. of this that was placed on this rock right. hundreds and hundreds of years ago? A concept. Yes. There's and, concepts that are right. being relayed. Right. And what are they? And some of them are, do point, I mean, whether, I mean, right before the podcast started, we were, we were talking about the difference between like an Eastern thought process and a right. Western thought process. But there, there is this commonality in the indigenous cultures in both the East and the West yes. of looking towards yes. the, the star children, the, the angels, the right. whatever you want to call them. And I think they do have specific names and specific features and specific identities. Um, I just think it's interesting to me that, again, it's almost a reflection of our own culture, how we view these, these things. Sure. We're viewing them from a very technological, sure. right. um, how do we break down the fabric of reality to, to better understand, you know, we're building like this, or we built the most expensive thing, you know, the CERN. Large Hadron Collider, you know, the most yes. extensive thing, the, the largest thing humanity's ever built. Right. You know, just to like take a bunch of rocks or whatever they're doing and smash atoms. You know, throwing them at each other. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> a lot of discoveries have come out of that. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. But it's interesting to me because it's, it's, it's begging that same question of, hey, there has to be another fabric to just this physicality right there's this overlap and now the u.s government you know it's on fox cnn whatever there's they're they're they're, you know hey there's uaps every civilization has said this you're not telling us anything new that's right (laughs) every culture has identified this right we may need a little more convincing some of us right you know if it you know, exist. I mean, I don't have undeniable proof or anything like that. I know? mean, but what is undeniable proof? <laughs> Your experience? Because I would doubt my own experience. If I had an extraterrestrial experience or a, some sort of experience that was outside the realm of physicality, I, I my first thing I would do would be to doubt my own sure presuppositions, my own uh, perceptions of the experience that I had. Did I see what I really just... Right. Right. And I could easily slough that off and say, I don't know what I saw, but, you know. So what would be undeniable proof? I mean, the government literally <laughs> coming forward. I mean, main sh- what's the undeniable yeah. proof? Someone shaking it out hands with, Look what we with Joe Biden, you know? <laughs> Mars attacks, right? <laughs> Great movie, by the way. <laughs> Highly recommend it. <laughs> oh, you know man. what I mean? Yeah. Like we have this, this like built in deniability in our 
in the American zeitgeist right now sure. of just we shrug our shoulders and like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, dude, the Pentagon says there's UAPs. Is nobody concerned? Does nobody care? <laughs> you know, like that's a di- oh yeah, they're just bending space time. Like what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It just it seems silly to me to think that uh, a civilization would advance far enough to travel these insane distances. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, for what? To like kill a bunch of cows or whatever, you know? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Ruin some British dude's crops, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, the whole concept of, of portals and vortices uh, being here in this in this very thin fabric between our dimension right. and some parallel universe or dimension I see is intriguing I, t- t- okay now again this is to me we are outside the realm if we're talking about things that are not tangible are not physical cannot be observable because they're outside of observation right 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 that from a scientific perspective that's hard to deal with hard to accept because hard science does not deal with faith well to be clear i find it interesting that there are string theorists that have apophatically assigned other dimensions in other words they have said this is my new word by the way apophatic uh look it up in the dictionary uh but they have apophatically described new dimensions based on the fact of okay here's the observable dimensions that we have in our you know in our calculations but there's something else that is missing ipso facto that missing thing is another dimension right so they're describing the undescribed right which is not scientific well (laughs) which takes a leap of faith well, that's true. Uh, but you can do it in a peer-reviewed journal, but it's still a leap of faith when you when you break it down to, I'm apophatically describing a realm because I can. The math says there should be exactly. something else, right? And, and you hit it there. Right is mathematical models. The mathematical models Absolutely. say that this this is miss this is the missing piece. Right. Therefore, ipso facto, right. there is the other right. dimension. So, my take on this is that scientists can lay these things out. Is it best uh, treated as hypotheses? Um, But then when you're interjecting the scientific method into something, you know, it has to be observable by one of the human senses so that you can test it. And that's the challenge. Well, this is obviously unobservable. And let me throw this out. I'm a big proponent of the scientific method. But let me just realize that I, I guess I'm, and I've proposed this before, I'm inching at the existence. I think, again, there is the existence of this other, these other, uh, these other dimensions, these other realities, because 
Like think about the scientific method. If you were to use the scientific method to prove why you should use the scientific method, right? It's impossible. And it sounds like a silly question, but it's really not. It's getting to the, the, the deeper root to that we are extrapolating data. Right. Right? Right. That's the point of the scientific method. But we have decided, we're presupposing that we needed to extrapolate this data. We're presupposing that this data is going to give us answers or not give us answers. Right? Right. Or it's testable. Or it's testable. You know, there's there's two conclusions that you can come up with. But the scientific method doesn't prove the scientific method. (laughs) You can't put it against itself. Right. Yet we accept it, and I'm not challenging it. I'm I'm saying for empirical evidence, obviously, it's the best thing we have. Yeah. But we're we're not talking about empirical evidence at this point. Well, (laughs) when, when... The scientific method is utilized. Oftentimes, it's used to um, confirm what others have done. You know, right? So, so they haven't done a lot of things yeah. associated with this are really tangible entities. You know, populations or uh, individuals, certain types of phenomena that you can witness, that you can see, or even mathematical formulas, because right. to an extent, they are tangible in in so much as they are a noun. They are a they are a thing. Right. Right. They're, they're tangible to our understanding. But you also hit on another point that, that the scientific method in certain realms are, it is um, finite. I mean, there is a boundary to where it can be utilized. So, it, is, it is a tool to, to gather right. empirical data. That's right. But the tool itself was not set forth through empirical data. <laughs> right? So what I'm getting at is, what I'm getting at is, I think the evidence, again, for these other dimensions, I think we ourselves are proof that there are other dimensions because we can access them through abstract concepts like right. the scientific method, which is an abstract concept. Yeah. This is something that we have taken small simple concepts and combine them together and made something that does not exist we brought something into conception into creation and that points to me that points to a a, 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 a another realm and i'm and how does this relate to ufos but i'm thinking like man you look at the tic tac right you you know over the <laughs> yes. nemesis right you look yes. at some of these and they are like freaking energy beams they, they obviously are not holding the same candle to mechanical devices. <laughs> no. Not even close. Not Mechanical devices that we built or are familiar with. Or understand through the laws right. that govern our universe no. in the way in which we understand them. Right. The foundational way in which we understand them. Yeah, when you hear physicists saying that this object is moving at a speed and doing maneuvers at a speed and acceleration rate that would destroy a human body if it was inside of it instantly just just from the g-forces instantly absolutely yeah you'd liquid right we can't explain that yeah yeah so yeah and 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 it had a foreknowledge right which we can't explain which is interesting 
had foreknowledge of the destination of where these the aircrafts that were supposedly you know tracking them and then you know you come to find out that this is like a pretty standard affair that you know this is very common you know you have the the foo fighters of world war ii yes you know you this is but then you keep edging back into history in every culture and they're describing the exact same thing right and then in your pictographs they're describing the exact same thing so it, it, you know little i guess little green men make less sense to me than some energetic you know thing i guess right. i don't know right I don't know, you know, uh, I think there's a case to be made for um, dis disassociating empiricism with maybe how we view aliens. Maybe it's a it's a larger uh, a larger um, how should I put it consensus, I guess. I have something for my producer. Yes, sir. Oh, my goodness. So uh, it just came in live that Mike Weatherford is watching this show. I forgot. By the way, I need to say this for Mike while I'm still in the air. Before I forget, thank you for reminding me, Kevin. Tune in Tuesday, February 28th, next week, to the Mike Weatherford Show. He's got the Paris Boxing Club with Coach Derek Moon and Coach Chris Mooney. That's this Tuesday, February 28th at 7 p.m. Check it out. On the Mike Weatherford Show on Facebook Live. And thanks for watching, Mike. I appreciate it. But anyways, uh, I don't know, man. I, I think it's a, I think that there is a way to maybe uh, look at, to, for us to maybe take a step back instead of shrugging our shoulders and saying, oh, we're just going to see what happens. I think it's already happening. I think it's already been happening. I think there's nothing to happen. There's not going to be... Um, little green men that are going <laughs> to land in your yard and say, right. Barry, we're real. Yeah. I think the, the reality is um, there's a measure at which human beings can understand um, these other dimensions that nothing else seems to be able to understand. These other dimensions being abstract, being intangible. And the empiricists, I guess, of, of the 17th century, you know, with the Enlightenment, we just kind of disregarded everything else and said, okay, it has to be observable. Ah. And in 2023, 20, we've made this turnaround, right, slowly through astrophysics, saying, hey, there are these things right. that we can't account for, that right. we can mathematically see that exist, these, these other realities, these right. other dimensions. Call them whatever you want. I think human beings can can interact with them, and I think our proof is the things that we have done, whether it's good or bad. And I'm not putting a value judgment, but just the fact that we're able to do that, or the fact that we're able to access this abstract, you know, realm, gather these thoughts, gather these ideas, and and then implement them in our own life, and we do it every day. Hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I love it, man. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I just, it, I'm the study of reality to me is is just fascinating because you know you've we're, we have this this false reality right now. 
on, uh, you know, that's the internet, but then it's really not false reality. It's actually also reality, right? <laughs> and uh, I just find it interesting just how our culture is, can kind of reflect the same topics that every culture has right. talked about throughout time. Right. And we're trying to do the same thing. Like yeah. you said, like capture energy, like go into, you know, you look at these hieroglyphs and these different, you know, go into space. I mean, we're trying to do it through wormholes or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I mean, you know, the veil is thin. Yeah. If Putin doesn't press the button first, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh man. <laughs> Right. Did you change your Facebook profile to Ukrainian flag? That's all that matters. Oh, that's all that matters. Well, if you didn't do that, then you're not you're not doing you're not making a difference in the world. I guess I failed because I don't have a Facebook account. I know. <laughs> oh man, that's a mess, dude. That is just a terrifying yeah. mess right now. It really is that we're in. It is that we are in. Let me make that clear. That yeah. we are in. Yeah, it's not isolated. No. No, we act yeah. as if the spheres of influence aren't there. <laughs> like they just magically disappeared right. in 1989. Like, <laughs> for real. Right. We all get, we are the world, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no. So, Russia's still there. <laughs> it's still a bear. Very much. We're poking it pretty hard. They're, they've lost like, what, 100,000 people, something like that's the estimate. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I've heard. But, um, it's, they're good at dying. Tragic. That's the Russian like history of of their warfare is just like sending Russians <sighs> to fight and die. Very interesting. World War Two was that was just the <sighs> capitulation, man. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, their whole history, the entire history, is just from start to finish, just plagued with massive casualties in warfare. Right from all sides. Right. Yeah. I think Ivan the Terrible was like the first king of the Ruskies, I believe. Of the Rus, or however they pronounced it, the Russians. But And from right. then on, it was just, it's rough. <laughs> it's been rough. Man. Yeah. But hey, it made for a great poem, Charged with Light Brigade and all that good stuff. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> right, right. Just endless wars, man, in that area, for whatever reason. Yeah, I guess... Uh, Cold makes you passionate. I guess. And fluctuate borders a lot. <laughs> but for whatever reason, by God, we have to keep the borders we have now. We're like we're ready to we're ready to go and press but it's like every time there's a border dispute, we can't be pressing buttons. Man. And we're close. It's just you know. It's like I, I, I like I, I want the Ukrainian people to be free, don't get me wrong, but like right. I also don't want to be nuked. Like where's that? Yeah. Man, it's hard to imagine that we're back there again. They just moved the, the, the boomer doomsday clock. They moved it up, man. Yeah. They just keep. I can see yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> they're into quarks now, I believe. Like, <laughs> I think that's the time. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Wow. And now they're supersonics, you know, so, like, we can't even defend against, like, what they could launch at us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Hit Nashville in like 22 seconds. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. Yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's unfathomable. Yeah. I know, and I just, I feel like, I feel like, uh, 
I have conversations with friends like you and, and I, we all do kind of get the same reaction. It's just kind of like this downtrodden, like, man, what are you going to do? You know, it's like, what do you do? And it's like, well, I don't know, man. What is in history? What has been done? It's always been people that have made a difference. But also, historically speaking, those first few people that stood up <laughs> usually got their heads cut off. Yeah, so they usually do. <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm just concerned. I'm concerned with I don't see a good end to the war in Russia. I don't see a good end because Russia is going out in a blaze of glory, I fear. Yeah, that's what it seems. Yeah. I mean, it's got that feel. They, there's a population collapse. They're really fighting to hold a national identity, you know, and they're much like we have in our country. They're looking back to days that actually never existed. They're looking back to like a historical time frame that never existed. Right. And uh, that's dangerous. Yes. Very much when so. you rewrite history, yeah. Say hey, we need to get back to this time or that. It's like, what? Which time was that? <laughs> like, it's pretty, pretty sweet in 2023. If you ask me, it's like medicine's yeah. awesome. Like, food's pretty cheap right now. Yeah. I mean, there's no. I've, I'm not in a war. Like, All right. I'd kind of like to hang around here. I want to hang around. Yeah. Yeah. I want to plant a garden in the spring. Yeah. You know, go right. turkey hunting. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. But I don't know, you 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 wake up and you, you see all this and we just all kind of shrug our shoulders and I don't know, I, I, I don't want to have lived my life and see see something terrible unfold and say, man, what could I have done differently to have prevented that? Like me personally, you just, you feel so helpless and overwhelmed and you just, it's like you're watching this ship sink to the bottom of the ocean right. and you just and you love everyone on the ship and you're just like please <laughs> please stop yeah. please stop yeah russia ukraine whatever like just stop biden trump whoever just stop like stop it <laughs> i just want to be left alone i just want to have my garden i don't have to think about these things you know yeah but unfortunately i do left alone yes yeah. Yeah, where's the party that does yeah. that? Where's the political movement that's just like, yeah, I'm good. I'm all set. You know? <laughs> like, I'm not angry about anything. Right. <laughs> I think it's just a handful of us. But... <laughs> like, just to be clear, I'm not angry about a thing. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Have purple hair. Wear a red hat. I don't care. Matters not. You unplugging stuff? Yep. It's okay. We'll fix it. We'll fix it in post. Edit. I'm just kidding. This is live. Uh, yeah. There you go. There you go. We're good. But yeah, again, I don't know. Apathy is not the answer. It's it's hard. Uh, it's hard for me not to. Uh, I was just talking to a really good friend of mine about Diogenes. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar. Are you familiar with Diogenes? No. He's a famous. Uh, he was a famous Greek cynic. Uh, he lived in like a pot in Athens, like a giant cauldron. His only, the only thing that he had was like a spoon. Um, but then he saw a, a boy use his hands to get water and thought, well, I don't need the spoon anymore, so I'll just use my hands. But he was, would also like go to Plato and 
mock him and do all sorts of crazy, insane things. But he was he was a cynic. Hmm. And what I'm getting at is it's hard not to be a Diogenes. You know, it's hard not to be laid out in the sun and Alexander the Great comes to you and, and says, you know, I know who you are and I can give you anything you want. And he famously replies, you know, get out of my shade. <laughs> right. You know, it's hard not to embrace that when right. you just see this insanity. And I talk to my friends like you who are level headed and don't have teams and don't have boxes and don't have these tribes and that just want to connect with other humans. And how do we do that? How do we spread that? How do we stop this isolating nonsense? And it's, and I thought West Tennessee, we're good, but it's not, it's seeped in, you know, over the last few years, it's just seeped in. Right. And it's terrible. And I hate it. You know, there was like a culture here, a specific culture and it's losing its identity. Right. Because of that nonsense that's being brought in. Yeah. And that culture was good or bad, and you took it for what it was. Yeah, we were slower around here. Yeah, we like a lot of fried food. Yeah, we have a lot of cholesterol issues, you know? <laughs> like, you know? I mean, that was the culture. Right. And it's being lost. And I've, it's just crazy. I hate that. But maybe we can regain it with, I don't know, giving a crap. I don't know how to do that, but maybe someone watching... <laughs> someone gotta, out there can you know it's got to begin with communication absolutely we've got to see the worth in each other and I, I think that's being lost you know it's easier to hate when you don't know anybody and you don't talk to them you know so it's easy to hate looking at somebody that looks different than you yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, man, now I'm it's really dude. sad. Man, we're down. <laughs> <laughs> so Let's go back to a swamp. Yeah. <laughs> dude, I'm so excited about Morel's season this year. I hope it's a good season. Last two years have been mediocre at best, so yeah. I'm hoping the rain's hit at the I right time. I haven't had a lot of – I didn't have a, a whole lot of luck last year. Yeah. It just – I've – it was not the best year, but hopefully if the rains hit at the right time right now, the yeah. within the next month really determines the rains now and within the next month determine if what the morel crop is, is my assessment. So yeah. we have lots of good rains, especially at the end of March. I think we'll be doing good. So mm. start looking for them first of April. I'm, I'm starting, I think the earliest I've ever found one here is March 20th. So yeah. Yeah, that's about the time. I, you know, the, the ones with the dark cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woodland. They're, yeah. They're typically in, in forest. Yeah. Um, so you know they're like reclassifying these things, right? No. I I know that um, three different, just based Traditionally. on cursory knowledge. Traditionally, there's yeah, three different. Three yeah. species. Yeah, but, and that's just taxonomically. Right. Yeah. It has just, so they've been doing running the genomes and there's like, yeah, there's a lot more. Really? Yeah. 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 Wow. So, and, and of course some scientists in Japan figured out one of them and how to grow them. Right. So they're, I did hear about, they're that. growing them now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
It's just like they're growing truffles in Tennessee, which are indistinguishable. Yeah, which are indistinguishable from those in France. Those in France, black truffles. Yep. So a mycologist, really? a mycologist, did all this legwork, figured out the exact conditions. Um, he inoculated. Um, I want to say oak, and I forget the, the uh, right. several species. And um, now it's a big issue with in in the truffle world because it is indistinguishable. Oh. He's the only person that, that that does it, and there's armed guards, and it's in Tennessee. It's very no interesting. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's big news for me. Yeah, yeah. So they use the dogs and everything, and yeah. Wow. Yeah. That so is he cool. essentially inoculated uh, a new old growth. And it took like thirty years or whatever to to make the first truffle, but yeah, it did really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is like a long, long game. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Do you know anything about what species of oak, our oak, that? You know, a lot of that was under wraps, but yeah, I know he that. did publish several papers about oh, he it. Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't remember. Um, Man. Yeah, yeah, because you know he was a mycologist, but his background was. See, because that's always interested me is the mycorrhizal relationship between certain mushrooms in old world species and new world species. Okay, right. And I've 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 proposed this to to Craig before. Like, the thing that baffles me is the uh, uh, apple rust rot fungus, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's on an old world species. You know, the apple tree, you know, comes out of Kazakhstan, that area, um, and then it, and then it propagates on a new world tree americanus juniperus mm -hmm. so craig's answer was you know well probably genomically it's close enough to a juniper tree in the old world do you see what i'm saying so this right. this this mushroom takes a new world and an old world species to here in the united states right to reproduce to continue its life cycle yeah mm -hmm. so a lot of old timers would like burn what they would call cedars, what I'm calling Americana juniperus, people here call red cedars, obviously. So yeah. they would burn the red cedars when they would see these orange globs on it because they knew it would infect their apple orchards. Mm. And it will. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I have them. I have both cedar trees and apple trees, and there's no other way around it. You spray a, a, a fungicide. If you want apple trees, you spray a fungicide. That's right. it. Right. <laughs> Kills me. <laughs> it affects... A lot of other members of the rosaceae as well, you know. It, it It's not just apple. It can go into hawthorns or all other. No, I, I can't say are all. They, are, they, are these old world species? Are hawthorns old world or new world? Or do you know? Oh, yeah. Well, well, we have new world hawthorns here, but there are hawthorns in the old world. That's well. This is what I'm asking. If they were like, you know. Brought over? Yeah, brought over. Oh, yeah, no. Through the Columbian we, we Exchange have, or something. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. We, we had have, established hawthorns oh, that are absolutely. just like so, just like American junipers. Right. So you're saying? Think of some species as whole Arctic. Yeah, okay. So, okay. Uh, you know, we have a number. Megan and I, my, my daughter, right. we were discussing red fox. Mm. You know, red fox, it was perceived by some that um, it was brought over and then it expanded. That is a whole Arctic species. Recent studies have indicated that there are no Eurasian haplotypes of red fox in the southeast or in the north 
um, what they have found over in the Pacific, in California, I think in Oregon, something like that, they have determined that some of the fox over there that is expanding their western range because red fox really wasn't there historically. Right. Um, it's more associated with some of the fur farms, oh. escapees from that. Okay. But red fox is native, native here. It's right. a whole Arctic species just like Golden Eagle is a whole Arctic species, like so many other okay. uh, northern muskox, you know, uh, caribou, you know, like so many other northern species. So when you think about, you know, well, how, when did red fox get here in the south? Well, in the Pleistocene, certainly in the, all of the different glacial advances, um, it shoved everything to a refuge where there was not a mile thick of ice. Shoved it here. So this was a refuge for so many northern species. And then when, you know, the glaciers receded. Some of them stayed. Everything started moving back up. Well, certain species that were tolerant of right. colder temperatures went on up. Some of the more southern right. species, you know. When I think of red fox, I think of something way worse. Mm. I think of like the Russian scientist with his daughter, <laughs> right? You know this? <laughs> I think I do. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. It's like a forty-year study they did with red foxes. Oh yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So they would like for those that you don't know. There's this crazy Soviet scientist who got money from the Soviet Union, and they was isolated in some Siberian lab. Right, right, right. And then he just freaking bred a bunch of red foxes, and then like if he could pet them. They lived, and if he couldn't, he just culled them, killed them, and just generations and generations, and ended up domesticating the red fox. Right. Like, actual domestication. Right. For those of you that don't know the difference between domestication and taming an animal, domestication actually changes the morphology it of really the does. species. And so, right now, because I looked it up recently, so when they first... The daughter preserved all the work. So Union fell. It was falling. They, they, they had to get rid of the, you know, of course, they're cutting the budget. One of the things was like the, the massive fox murder hole in Siberia. And so wow. the daughter kept some of them. And then um, for a long time, like Russian oligarchs, it was like a sign of like wealth because these things were being sold. I mean, for those of you who don't know, you can look these up. They're red foxes that have floppy ears. Uh, the coloration of dogs, gray spots, um, their tail has uh, curved, um, it's, their teeth ha have changed. It's, and this guy did this in a 40-year period. Wow. Compl so imagine the amount of foxes he had to breed and kill in a 40-year period wow. to completely domesticate them. And then Russian oligarchs would get these things for like fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollars, and it's like a sign of like opulence to have like a pet domestic fox. Because they had all the um, playfulness and traits of a fox, but they were domestic and they could be tr house trained and everything else. But now I recently looked, and I want to say they're like down to three grand. So I'm like, you could get a domestic fox for like three thousand dollars. I don't know how reputable the breeders are, but. <laughs> I'm super against buying animals, but I would definitely, definitely buy a fox. Just a little chaos, you know? Just next time you tune in on the podcast, he's just going to be chilling in the background, gurking, you know? And that is the correct term. 
is Gherking. Okay. <laughs> Man, I have really enjoyed having you on here. I've had a blast sitting here talking awesome, with you. Man. Well, thank you, brother. I'm really glad that you got to be here. Um, I know uh, we had been talking about it for a while, and uh, I hope it wasn't too stressful. I hope it was fun. <laughs> oh, it was good. It was good to was, see you again. It's, it's been a while, man. I, I hate. I, I hate know. that it's been a while. We need to go outside. We do. I I need. I don't need a reason to go outside. That's right. But you're a great reason to go outside. Let's go outside and and find some cool stuff. Let's do it. Because everything is waking up and it's beautiful and my seat my rhythm's off on the seasons. I need to get back. There you go. Get back. (laughs) Me too. Definitely. Thanks for tuning in to the Logical Podcast. Uh, Tune in next week. We're gonna have special guest guest Miss Barbara Gray. That's gonna be 7 p.m. She is a very new friend and a very good friend of mine and it's going to make for some awesome conversation tune in at 7 p.m thank you so much